Welcome. You're listening to Brilliance Through Resilience. I'm your host, Andrea Furpo, and I believe it is time for women to share their gifts, their beliefs, and their stories. These are lessons of endurance, voices demonstrating resilient spirits, tough skins, and a willingness to burrow deep underground for resources in order to survive. I've gathered a community of women to tell us their stories and inspire us to step into more courage and feminine leadership. My only hope with this podcast is to engage, inspire, and compel more women to share their voices. So wherever you are, sit back and relax with me. And thank you so much for listening in to today's show. Hello, and welcome to episode two. Our guest today is Tasha Zigarelli. Tasha is a community-based herbalist of the wise women tradition, as well as an herbal educator in women's health and reproduction, focusing on plant spirit communication and flower essences for accessing grief and trauma within the body. She has been working with plants for seven years and is most called to those medicines from the desert ecosystem. She is also a doula and a birthkeeper. Tasha owns Tea Tree Herbs and is currently living overseas while educating herself in Bali. She is going into the psychotherapy field, specifically focusing on grief and death work, and is rebranding her tea company to the name Arose. Tasha will also begin leading grief retreats and is writing a book about women who have lost their mothers, highlighting one's ability to move through their grief with creativity. One of Tasha's favorite gifts to share is her passion for her music. Her beautiful voice and hang drum are tools she uses to drop into the body and heal all who want to listen. We will get to hear her later in this episode as Tasha will sing a song she wrote called She Moves Like Water. So this is my favorite part where I get to tell you how I meet and find the women in our community. So in 2016, Tasha was a facilitator for an herbalism class I intended on how to create a wine cordial love potion as a Valentine's Day gift. Directly after the class, we connected through easy conversation, laughter, and a chocolate bar. It was immediate recognition as if we had known each other in several lifetimes. Initially, I was interested in selling her herbal chakra teas to my clients, which might still happen. Let us know if a chakra blend is something that you would like to see in our web stores. But what did evolve between the two of us was a beautiful holding of friendship and love between us. It's been a pleasure to have the opportunity of knowing her as a sister and a healer, meeting on this path to help heal others that we've dedicated ourselves to. She is a very powerful and beautiful woman, and I know you will agree. As a heads up, the sound quality of this recording is not optimal and is best listened to with headphones but stick with it because it's a beautiful story that I know you will appreciate. So without further delay, here's Tasha. Enjoy. 
Tasha, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you share your strength with me here. So let's start simple. Because I, I really want to get to um, who you are, what it, what you're about, why, what your story is, how you created your business, but also like the ins and outs of what motivates you, why you think the way you do. So, mm -hmm. so let's start simple. Um, what's your favorite book to read? Like if your house was going to burn down and you're only <laughs> allowed to grab one off the shelf, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, probably a collection of really poems that I have. Okay. Mm -hmm. In one book or? It's in one book. Okay. Yep. It's okay. called The Collection. Rumi oh. Poetry. Yeah. I love Rumi, but too. I don't have that book. It's been really inspiring. Yeah. Hands down, my, my go-to when I'm going through anything, it's like Rumi, he's got it. <laughs> he just kind of got it. Um, okay, and how about movies? Do you, do yeah, you movies? so, you know, it's funny, I thought about this. Um, my all-time favorite movie is The Family Man with Nicolas Cage. It was made in the 90s, and it's <laughs> this really classic, old-school movie um, just about the choices that we make. And his, so he had this, this girlfriend that he was in love with in college, and then he moved to London, and he became this really wealthy Wall Street um, stockbroker, right? So that's like the beginning of the movie. And he's, he's wealthy, he's everything in the world, but he's also super alone. And so he goes and he um, meets, it's like Christmas Eve, and he meets this man who's trying to rob this store. Oh my God, I need to see this. It's amazing. And then, so he wakes up the next day in his alternative future life, what he would have had had he chosen the woman. So he wakes up in this house in New Jersey with two children on Christmas morning. And um, Tia Leone, who's one of my favorite actresses, is his wife. And, you know, he's just freaking out. Like, where am I? What is this? And um, the whole story is, is really beautiful. And just, yeah, like that that moment of, huh. of decision and choice. I haven't even heard of this movie. I know, it's old. It's, I think it was in 95, and it was one of my mom's favorite movies. And I would watch it every Christmas. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so that's probably why. Uh-huh. For sure. And I am a secret lover of Nicholas Cage. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about Yeah, that. which is funny because, you know, I feel like people either hate him or love him, and I'm definitely that's a lover. I totally agree. Yeah. I feel like it's definitely one or the other. I For really sure. like him, too. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's great. Like too. He's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you gotta see that movie. It's awesome. I, I'm gonna put it on my it's Netflix. Just, it's a sweet feel good. Or else look up how to watch it online. Yeah. It's it's um it's powerful. There's there's a lot of, of meaning and love behind it. So I appreciate it. Well, even if you asked me like what my favorite movie was, like I have so many favorite movies. Same, same. Yeah, I really had to narrow it down. <laughs> <laughs> I really had to think about that. Okay. Yeah. Alright. So um What's your favorite tea out of all of... So you own a tea company. Yes. And tell me a little bit about... You, you know, we were talking offline earlier just about your teas and how you drink them all day long. So mm -hmm. how do you... You know, what's your favorite tea that you've created? Or is there a favorite tea like... Because I'm a 
tea lover? Is there a favorite tea in the world that you love as well? So um, my favorite tea that I created is probably the Dreamtime Chai. It's so effective and really delicious. So it's valerian root, kava, and mugwort instead of black tea. So it's a caffeine-free uh, sleepy time chai, essentially. And it's got carob, sarsaparilla, licorice root, clove, orange, cinnamon, ginger, and some vanilla bean with a, um, and star anise, cardamom. So it's just like full power chai, fully packed in. And you can drink this at night? You can drink it at night and it helps you fall asleep. Yeah, so valerian root is one of the most powerful sedatives that we have in the plant kingdom. And it's also, it's an anxiolytic, so it's really good for anxiety and stress. Um, and it's a sedative. It really knocks you out. So I have, you know, one or two cups, and it helps me fall asleep and stay asleep. And then with the mugwort, it's also really amazing for producing the dream time. Yeah, dreams and remembering dreams and having vivid dreams. And I've had a couple of batches of Dreamtime chai that have gone a little wrong because my board is super bitter. Um, I don't mind the bitter, but you know, not everybody's a, a fan of that flavor. So uh, it's been funny to like get feedback from people. I'm like, Whoa, sure. Whoa, Tasha, we do much my board. Just add some honey. But the Dreamtime chai is really nice as well because it's one of my only blends I think that I create that you can actually add milk or coconut milk or almond milk and honey and have it. Have like a full powered cup of chai at night. So that's one of my favorites. And next to Burning Love, probably one of my best sellers. So then do you have a favorite? So you created a tea company. I'm assuming you love tea. I, I love tea. Yeah. So it, what is your favorite tea then? So my favorite tea, okay, so there's two. Again, Maicha, the toasted rice tea is my favorite green tea. I love oolong and guer, but that one. I think takes takes the cake. Okay. And then um, when I was younger, before I started tea tree, throat coat by traditional medicinals uh -huh. is my favorite. So I'm like a full powered licorice lover. It's just sweet. And that's and like Nicholas Cage. You can <laughs> love or hate it. Exactly. Exactly. People feel really strongly about it. Really, really strong. And yeah, I've had people pick up some of my blends and be like, I can't have too much licorice root, but I love it. And um, there are some pretty amazing health benefits to licorice root as well. There are. Yeah, there are. Um, and there's some amazing. contraindications as well, um, you know, for people with hyperthyroids and things of that sort. Is it not so. good for people with that mm -hmm. type? Uh-oh. No. <laughs> in, high, in, high, in high doses. You know, licorice root, I think pretty much any herb in, in tea form is pretty relatively safe. Um, if you're taking, you know, powdered form or a high dose of tincture, and it's, it's more important to be aware of things like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so, throw, so, yeah, throw a coat, med traditional medicinals. So, how did you get involved with creating a tea company? Let's start there. Yeah, totally. Because you love herbs, you yeah. have a herbalist background, right? You've studied a lot. Mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. that about you. So, tell me more about the generation or uh, creation of teacher herbs and how that came about and yeah. why that came about. Yeah, so um, let's see. I think it was in 2011. Mm -hmm. I was working at this tiny little natural food store in my hometown of Santa Cruz in this little suburb called Aptos, which is in the South County. 
and I I've been there by the way. Oh, you have <laughs> amazing. Yeah, not, not recently, but yes, yeah. So I started working there, and I was working in um, you know the herb and beauty department, and I absolutely loved it. And they had this huge apothecary of all these bulk herbs, and it was our job every day when we would open up the store was to create a tea. And so, no way! Yeah, I started. Yes, yes. So I started kind of just going off, and I would make these really unique blends that would taste amazing. At the same time, I was living with this older uh, raw food then Buddhist woman up in the mountains, um, who was a huge tea drinker as well, and she had an apothecary too. So I was creating teas at home. And then also um, at Aptosh Natural Foods, and I started having customers coming up and being like, this tea is amazing, where do I buy this blend? <laughs> yeah, like, where do I get this no blend? No way, was yeah. that easy? Yes, yes. And oh I was like, um, you know, this, I can specially, you know, formulate it for you, but this is just my own creation. And so it really started um, coming coming clear to me that, that tea was my form of medicine. And also... Um, I really value the ritual and the time and the space that it creates to really brew a cup of tea and, and really sit with it. Um, and, the, you know, flavors as well. Yeah. You yeah. Know, just like having something that's really warm and nourishing that is, is good for the body. And there's like a bit of alchemy in it, which was really interesting to me and intriguing. So, yeah, Aptos Natural Foods was really the That care. was the starting place. That was the starting place, yeah. Okay, I did not know this about you. And then I went to my formal education. With, I went to California School of Herbal Studies um, for a couple of months and did a few programs there. And that was, at, I was, I was, I had just finished my, um, my program with Rosemary Gladstar for just its course in science and art of herbal medicine. So you studied with Rosemary Gladstar. Yes. Distance. And I've met her a few times at different conferences. Isn't she up in Oregon? No. So Rosemary Gladstar is now in Vermont. Okay. And she has um, an herbal farm, which I think she might be selling soon, called um, Sage Mountain. Okay. But she was and is, she was, she is one of the biggest pioneers of Western herbal medicine in our generation and in her generation. She was a part of the crew that was on a bus touring in the 60s and 70s going around and spreading plant knowledge. She's such an amazing witch and herbal mama, and she started Traditional Medicinals, California School of Herbal Studies, and Mountain Rose Herbs, which are some... That's why I know her name. Yeah. Okay, so Mountain Rose Herbs is in Oregon. Yes, in Eugene. Yeah, and that's why I know her name, because mm -hmm. I've seen her on video, and I'm like, but wait, isn't she up in Oregon? So yeah. you've, done, you've studied with her. She is... Oh, yeah. Amazing. So I did her distance course, and then I met her last year when I went to Boston. I went to the International Herbal Symposium, which she also started back in the day. Um, and, yeah, she was just... I love just, like, listening to her. She's incredible. She's, she's unbelievable. unbelievable. And she really... I think what's kind of happening in, in the um, educational system that I found, at least, with Western herbalists is there's a lot of the allopathic model becoming a little bit more and more, and it's, it's very, like, medical herbalism space which is beautiful and super um necessary yeah you know we want to know how these herbs are actually interacting with the body and what they're doing but rosemary she knows her plant energetics like she's on that but she's also very much so connected to the spiritual folkloric biodynamic full moon new moon 
you know, what were these herbs used for traditionally, and she knows how does it feel, right, yeah. in your body, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah so. she has very intimate knowledge. Totally. I, intimate knowledge, that's a good yeah. way to put it. Yeah. Very intimate knowledge, and, and uh, I highly recommend for anybody listening to, or watching, to, um, <laughs> you know, definitely look her up. For sure. her yes. videos are on YouTube are really, really. She also started any, United Plant Savers, which is a, a huge conservation organization here in the United States that's helping, um, save a lot of our medicinal plants are going extinct for over harvesting which is a whole other thing that's happening right now <laughs> that is a whole other thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. extinct thing yes uh-huh. it's a whole other thing uh-huh. you know i read something really interesting about um beings as well as plants and animal spirits that are going extinct and essentially i read something very interesting about the fact that when we all came here, we all agreed that the planet would be used equally. Mm. And because we're being so abusive to certain um, plants or animals, for instance, yeah, uh, especially animals, that they are, they have gone what we consider extinct, but actually they're at a different vibration. They've asked to be at a different vibration, so we can't see them and that they can be hidden from us because we don't know how to treat them right, right. Like, it's all seen prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read it in the Celestine <clears throat> Prophecy. <laughs> it's a great movie. It's a great oh, I, I read it. Oh, yeah. I read it. Oh, yeah, I read it. I don't remember, but I read it. I think when I was like 19 at first yeah. came out. That was like <laughs> that's beautiful. Like that's so beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and then um oh wow, you were in the main thing. And yeah. um yeah, that I read that and the alchemist, I think, in the that same year. Cool. Yeah. Mm. So um, two great books. They are. are my faves. Yeah, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. It would be really hard for me to pick a favorite book too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'll just say that. <laughs> okay, so um, you have all of this back, extensive background, um, back to uh, your education and training, and so tea tree herbs came about because you decided to create a business based upon. The feedback that you were getting from people or how did you kind of yeah. how, did, how did the business evolve because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how did you step over the um I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life and all these people are coming to me and telling me that this is resonating with them now how do I create a business around that right yeah so how did you how did tea tree herbs come about and how did it you come up with the name it was a super slow process most definitely. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was back in 2011 when I was working at Aptos Natural Foods. And then um, my mom passed away when I was 21 in 2014, May 17th. And um, at that point, creating a tea business wasn't even, it wasn't on my mind radar. Yeah, it, yeah, I was, it was, I was complete, in a different space completely and, and grieving and to work and live life and be 21 years old and all of that. So um, tea tree herbs was really born in India. Um, after my mom passed, I, I went to India for quite a while, stayed a lot longer than I was expecting. And then when I returned, 
it became really clear to me that I was that I needed to move forward with my dedication to plant medicine and was feeling that manifestation move through me um, from my mother and communicating kind of to her beyond the veil and her really, you know, gently kind of giving me these urges of like, this is your work and this is this is the gift that I'm that I've left you with. And um, was your mom No. Okay. No, she wasn't. Uh, my grandfather, though, is is an herbalist and is very connected to the plants. And I think he's eighty eight now, and he's still like walks three miles a day, healthy as a horse. He's really on the apple cider vinegar kick. And <laughs> when I was ten years old, the Way of Herbs by um, no, not the Way of Herbs. What is it? The old school herbal book that Jethro Close, um, like one of the first herbal books that came out back in the like early nineteen hundreds or something. Oh, okay, yeah, herbal medicine, alternative healing. And then kind of watching my mom go through her process um, of death and dying, I really saw what a victim of Western medicine she was. I was just not really having a lot of um, support for any other options besides the allopathic model. And so that was like a really big driving force for me to create tea trees. It's like, okay, let's let's bring the medicine to the people. And tea tree herbs... The name um, kind of came about like this idea of the seed of life, the tree that is sustaining us, you know, the roots that are sustaining us, and and the tea. So it's like um, I want to say the tea of life, but how plant medicine and tea, plant medicine in the form of herbal tea, and really and ground us and be that like nourishing strong grandfather tree so interestingly enough earlier I was doing a session with you and we had some essential oils out on the table and I had (laughs) you pick out of all oils I actually didn't even think of this but it's really funny you know when I was traveling here I um, did some meditation on you before because I like to bring you know to each session that I do I like to bring certain things that I think are supportive right and so I meditated on you and what came up was heart healing right heart chakra and uh-huh. so I brought all of the stones that were supportive of that that spoke to me or intuitively gave me a hit and then I also went through um, my kit and grabbed all of the oils that specifically have to do with your heart, right? So I grab all of those, I lay them out, I narrow it down, and out of all of the oils that you did not like the most, you picked tea tree. And I think that that's so funny that you didn't want that today. Yeah, it's so true. So yeah, maybe so that good. speaks to where you are as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And yes, I'm in, um, I'm in the process of rebranding. And renaming tea tree herbs, you know, for the last two years that I've been running this company, <clears throat> um, was was powerful. It was my baby, and that that name just isn't sticking, and it doesn't resonate with me anymore. And um, I want to move in and honor the process that I'm at in my life right now, and so I'm going to be changing the name. Do you know to what? Um, are I you have, still thinking? I have a couple of ideas floating around, but okay. I haven't quite decided yet. Okay. And um, the other reason is because people would indeed get really confused.
used about tea tree oil, right? So it's like, oh, tea tree herbs, is that tea tree oil? You know, nothing against tea tree oil. It's great, but it's completely unrelated. Uh-huh. Which is funny. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. And it's time to like, okay, I, I, I wanna I want a fresh start. I kinda wanna start over and really hone in on um, where I'm at now and what I'm moving toward. mentioned your mother's death mm-hmm. and that happened when you were 21 and you're 24 now okay 25 uh so without totally reliving it mm-hmm. but also going back to that yeah i know that that was a really difficult time in your life and i know that there is still some evolution and still some residual pain and some, still some things that you're still processing and probably will be processing for the rest of your life. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel like that particular experience, not everyone experiences that, especially not everyone experiences that. Mm-hmm. Um, we all think about like what it will be like when our parents die or what will it, how will that process be, letting that go, that relationship? But you, that was pretty abrupt and super young. So mm-hmm. what was that like for you at 21? Mm. Yeah, um, my mom because was... Because your mom died of cancer, No, right? no, it wasn't cancer. Oh. She was pronounced dead at 52 of congestive heart failure. Yeah, so we actually have a very rare blood disease in my family called HHT. Um, it affects about one in 5,000 people and it's hereditary and it's essentially extra blood vessels that are created in the body. They can be internal and external and there are these little red dots called telangiostasias that grow. Um, so my mother bled most of my life, like really horrendous, five, six hour nosebleeds, iron transfusions, blood transfusions. My aunt at 21 years old had, um, an ADM, so a huge blood clot in the brain because of the disease and almost died. Um, yeah, so it's a really dramatic um, disease, essentially. My older sister has it, and uh, my middle sister does not, and I also have the disease. So my mother was ill most of my life. Um, you know, there were moments, there were a couple year periods where she was okay, 
and she, she was really too bad. Um, but my mother died of a broken heart and addiction. She was heavily addicted to drugs and alcohol for a really long time. And um, she just didn't take care of herself and I think her emotional body. She had a wild life. She was a crazy, beautiful, wild woman. She lived really fast and really hard. And she didn't give a damn about anything um, but her kids. She was a great mom. I have two older half-sisters. Um, and, yeah, so, yeah, she just didn't take care of herself. And she had a slew of health problems that happened, um, you know, because of the disease and also because of other things, just not taking care of herself. So, you know, I was ready for her to go. when You were? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what I was not ready for was the grief to set in and the reality that I lost my mom at 21. I watched her deteriorate over a three-year period that just broke my heart. And it was even, it was hard to see her. And it was really painful. And I went through the classic five stages of grief, of grief for sure. And, you know, now um, I'm, I want to be a grief therapist at some point, And I want to I want to merge with my use of plant medicine with grief therapy because um, it's been the most impactful scenario I have ever, you know, That just gave me chills. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really feeling super called to that, and I've been doing a, quite a bit of grief work for the last few years. Um, but, you know, when it happened, I'll never forget the day I got the call. I had a pretty interesting experience when she passed. She was in a coma for a couple of days. She was down in San Diego. And this is probably the third or fourth call, you know, in the last couple of years that I got from family members or her caretaker saying, I think she's going to die. So I didn't know if it was really going to happen this time. And it was uh, Mother's Day, and she was flown down to an HHT Center of Excellence at UCSD in San Diego. And, um, you know, my sister, my older sister, had kind of stepped in at that point, called me and said, Mom's going to come up, like, you come say bye. And I got on the plane... And I knew she was going to die on Saturday, May 17th. I could just feel it. And it was hysterical in the airport. And I was so young and just unaware of what I was walking into. And um, when I you know, got to the hospital, she had woken up a couple of hours before. And I walked into the room, and, and she looked at me. And one of her eyes was filled with blood at this point. And her, her legs were just black and blue. And she was super swollen and on all of these tubes. Um, yeah, it was really painful to witness, but she opened her eyes and she said, Weed, Weed is my family nickname. <laughs> so you said that as a child. She said, Weed, Weed, and she grabbed my hand and she said, I've been waiting for you. And I just fucking lost it, you know, like, oh my gosh. And she was telling me this story of, um, essentially visiting the realm of hell in her coma and so it was actually this super intense psychedelic moment where she got really lucid afterwards after coming out of the coma and she said i've been waiting for you and you'll never believe what i saw down there and there were these you know things ripping at my chest and it just really scared the shit out of me and i think and i was the only one that was holding space for this my sisters and everybody had left the room it was like me and her one-on-one and she said tasha i want to um I want to go to to the gang members in LA, and I want to teach them the word of God, and I want to go to Watts. Like, take me to Watts. And I'm like, what are you talking? About? I've never heard my mother say anything like this in my entire life. And at this point, I'm just like shocked and super scared. What's going on? 
and you know it's pretty common for people at the end um, a couple of days before you know hours to get really loosened to like have a really clear moment and so yeah just some of the things she was saying were really impactful and she also told me that like I needed to keep singing and so music was a really big part of um, my life with her she always had me at talent shows and karaoke and singing lessons when I was not so rebellious and actually went to them and so we had such a beautiful last few days and on Friday night it was really late and I was getting my older sister a break and I was um, you know watching my mom sitting on the couch and watching her in the hospital bed and she was asleep and she was just in so much pain and you know, could barely breathe and um, I realized in that moment that like she needed to be released and so it was like this really spiritual gateway that I walked through with her and was just it was just channeled through me you know I, I wasn't even really that consciously aware of me Tasha Brand like really of what was happening and the contract that I had with her because um, in a lot of ways, my mom is is a big twin flame in my life, and I always felt that. Although she wasn't, she was alive. Like she's very much so in this in the spirit realm. <clears throat> and it was about three o'clock in the morning, and I remember being like, "Okay, okay, like we're gonna we're gonna do this." And so I started seeing to her, and I just went over to her and I said, "Mom, it's time to go. I need you to let go now, and I want you to go home." I love you. And I'll see you again. No, you don't need to be sorry. Um, I don't tell the story to very many people. Yeah. Or like even really to myself again. So it's like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've only had to do that for an animal, so I can't. I can't even know. It was big. It was big, and I knew, I just knew that she needed that permission for me to know that we were all going to be okay. And I was, especially me being the baby, and like, you know, my sisters are nine and seven years older than me. So it was me and mom. Yeah. Our song used to be just the two of us building castles in the sky, that song. <laughs> a really corny song. <laughs> and so I remember as I'm walking out the door at three o'clock in the morning. She whispered, thank you. And I looked back and I just said, I love you. I'll see you at home. And I went back to my uncle's house and um, at nine o'clock in the morning, I got the call that she passed away. So a mere six hours later, and I was just fucking floored. Like, wow, I, we did that. Like I did that, you know, they're, they're okay. That's, that happens, confirmation. I am a gatekeeper in some way. And then that's where a lot of my midwifery interest came from as well, of like this desire to see full circle of, of life and birth and death. It came from there. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't, my, my path of midwifery, um, well, that's not true. I had gotten the path of the paths to midwifery, like on midwifery education before she died, the year before she died, but I did my doula training a month after she passed away. So she was, it was at the root of all of that work as well. And uh, yeah, it's pretty incredible now that I am reminded and speak it aloud. 
Well, it's interesting too because to hear you, I didn't want to interrupt you, but when I first met you, I remember you telling me that you went to India, and I remember actually now as you we were speaking, like you went to Thailand and like birthed babies for Philippines, Philippines for like was there for two months? No, I was there for five weeks. Okay, almost six almost, weeks. Yeah, almost six weeks. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, my that point, was wild. And and so I completely forgot that you did that on top of all of this. I mean, that's not a lot to do with Tree, but it's a lot to do with who you are for and sure. your evolutionary process, for right? Sure. And where is that with you now? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I mean, birth keeping is is so it's so valuable and so important to me, and I'm really in a transition with it now. I'm not sure if it's what. I'm not sure if being a midwife is, is why I'm on the planet. I know I know that holding space for birth is absolutely a part of me. Um, but with the barriers to midwifery education in the United States, and I'm not going to be a nurse, it's just not in my path, um, I don't know if I will fully rise up to actually be catching babies um, professionally. I know that I will be catching many of babies of my sisters and friends and my yeah. own babies. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm still. I'm. That's something that's been coming up a lot for me in the last couple of weeks. Actually, is um, where is that work? And I've always wanted to focus on international service, and so that was another big draw for like the Philippines and birth in the third world is a lot different than it is in the West. Oh yeah, and there's a lot of cultural appropriation that needs to be you know, cared for. And, and reminded, um, just as a white woman going to these third world countries and, and trying to tell women how to how to give birth, it's a big thing. So I'm very sensitive to that. But I, my dear sister Eliana Schiffer, who is absolutely amazing and on her way to being a midwife. Um, her father was a midwife in Santa Cruz back in the '80s, and um, she's in really close relationship with Robin Lim, who won um, 2011 CNN Hero of the, uh, the Year Award. And Robin Lynn is an amazing birth keeper um, on Bali who opened up her clinic, Bumi Sehat, which is a gentle water birth clinic in Ubud, which is huge and got national recognition. And she's doing amazing work. And after the typhoon in 2011, Typhoon Haiyan, in the island of Leiti, um, she opened up Bumi Wada, which is the clinic that I went to. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. And international birth opportunities like that without a lot of education are kind of hard to come by. So I feel super, super blessed for that experience to be there and to be with those women. And it brought up a lot of grief. I actually got this really horrible respiratory infection when I was there. Did you? Yeah. And I took some of the, you know, Filipino over-the-counter drugs and it made me feel really shaky. And so my only herbal ally was garlic. So I was eating 10 raw cloves of garlic a day to try to beat this respiratory infection. And what do we, you know, what do we hold the most in our lungs is grief. And I was just hacking it out, like sick, mucus, couldn't breathe, asthma attacks while I was at the clinic. It was crazy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just downing, I just the garlic at five in the morning, five at night. Oh my God. Yeah. I'd be in like 
Six or seven days. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. Yeah. I can't even imagine eating that much garlic. You're like, I don't care, I need to survive. It's yeah. gonna happen. Yeah, and so now I actually have this slogan is like raw garlic is God. It really is. I mean the power of garlic on so many physiological levels is just it's incredible. I mean I put it up there next to mushrooms. I really do. It's just it's a powerful one. Huh. I mean, I really like it. Yeah. I guess I don't think about, I don't always think about the healing properties of food as I'm eating it. Same. Same. Yeah, it was, it was a big testimonial to that plant. Mm. Like, oh, wow, you are so much more than just a flavor. Of flavor. Of flavor. <laughs> recognizing where you are right now and we were talking a little bit about this earlier just with all of the energy that's happening right now and you and I were talking about like kind of being at a place in both of our lives where we're reassessing and uh, renaming so to speak what is our work right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I feel like you and I probably are in the same page correct me if I'm wrong when I I think I got stuck a couple of months ago. You're going to laugh probably. I was reading this book on manifestation and the question in it was, what is the most important thing I can do today? Ooh, I like that. And I got stuck on that question for like three weeks. And the funniest part is it's about fucking today. (laughs) And I got stuck on that question for three weeks because every time I came up with something, I was like, that's not good enough. Right, right. Huh. Huh. And so I kept judging my answer for forever in assessing, like, just what needs to be good. Just focus on today. But I really feel like I'm in a place that I really, whatever I'm putting out there, really needs to encompass all of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and not that I need to figure out my life's work today, but I want to be authentic and passionate about what I create and what I put out in the world and because of that it's a it's a serious decision right yeah. <laughs> it's like I put a lot of a lot of pressure on myself too. right right yeah. and so it sounds like you're kind of in a, a similar opportunity of reassessing what is important who are you what are you doing next what does that look like what is the name of that? Does it inc- encompass all of my knowledge? Is it just a passion that I have? Am I? Did I create this business because I was, you know, teacher herbs? Did I create that because I was healing? Right. Yeah. And really? now, and now that I'm healing, right? <laughs> now that I'm now that I'm healing, or through more of the process of healing, what it's actually sounding like is you healed out of your business. <laughs> Do you mean like it in your wow, business? that is such a great way to put well, it. Your, your, bus- your business has that. been healing you. It has been healing in, in like so many ways. It so at a certain point. And it's been draining me. 
<laughs> well, what did they say about working for yourself? Like you, oh, you love you love what you do, but you. I was just saying this to Craig the other day, but you you just are never. There's no downtime. Like you're there's always no downtime. You're always working. Yeah, yeah that's one right. thing I've I've really really had to ask myself is okay, Tasha. Um, what's what's the medicine here? Like, I love plants. My blends are amazing. Anyone that has the pleasure of drinking it is hooked and they love it and I have customers all the time that are just like you are incredible and I feel a lot of pressure from people as well friends family what are you gonna do with the business what's next with the business you know and and just the licensing and then with the FDA and the permitting and everything it's like oh my god is this really what I want and so what I really feel is happening with me right now is um, tea tree has been healing me it's been a stepping stone to a bigger area of work, and, and that's the grief work. And that's blending in the grief work, grief therapy, right? So I'm going to have to go back to school and, like, get a BA and get a master's. And I'm pretty much ready to make that transition. Are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, yes, I've signed up for a few community colleges in various areas of California and Oregon. <laughs> Because um, you can't figure out where you want to go. Yeah. Can't figure out where I want to go quite yet in um, in Bend, Oregon, actually. Um, so I'm I'm feeling called to the mountains, and I need to to really listen to that and and stick with it. And also, I want to I want to keep running Tea Tree. I do, but um, I also want to have space for my creativity. And I noticed that when I'm full time Tea Tree, I don't write, I don't make music, um, I rarely have time to socialize. I feel really consumed and I don't know what the payoff is long term and as far as like seeing my tea on whole, in Whole Foods like I don't really know if that's gonna fulfill me um in the way that holding space as a bereavement counselor could fulfill me or holding grief ceremonies and grief circles and um you know writing a book about my experience with it and sharing my poetry Music, so there's all these things. Yeah, of course, because you're talented. We have multi, multiple gifts in this mm -hmm. lifetime. So then it's a, it's yeah, it's a, it's a matter of narrowing that down for sure. Our spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and going back to school is super exciting, and I'm excited for you if that's the route you choose to go. <laughs> um, that said, I can't imagine going back to school at this point in my life, but yeah, I know. Um, me too. Me too. I mean, there's definitely some things there. There's some resistance to going back, but I do feel like education is so important. Oh, I totally agree. And I'm, I'm always evolving. I'm always educating myself, irregardless of going to school. I'm constantly like, we're always listening to a podcast. We're always listening. I have like 10 books I'm reading. Right. Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm constantly learning something, but I just don't do well in formalized education. I never have, mm -hmm. and that's my thing. But mm -hmm. the point, same, same, actually. Yeah, I've uh, never, uh, I mean, uh. we won't go into my history of education, but, uh, and that's part of the reason why I became a school teacher is to heal that. But uh, interesting, beautiful. Yeah, to give back to that because there were a lot of teachers that had to put I mean, I wasn't, I was never a terrible kid. I was just, a I took a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's part of the reason why. And also because I felt like 
if I could touch another student who felt the same way that I did and teach them in a way that they could comprehend and get through to them so that they had their own aha moments and and encourage them to learn how to love learning again. Yeah. Because I think a teacher can really turn that off through experience. So that was that was kind of my that was the younger that was the younger Andrea. <laughs> Not that I don't teach and mentor now, but right. You know, but uh yeah, you definitely have that teacher archetype. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So back to you. Because <laughs> I want to know more about you, I, and I appreciate you telling your story with your mother, and I know that that's um, a really super dear and private, you know, not a secret, but also something that's really tender and so tender. super tender. But I'm so happy to share it because I know that my story can heal so many others. And so... Can we go back to after that? Yeah. And so you're 21 and you're you're grieving and and I'm back to work waiting tables four days after she dies and you're like trying to make sense of it all and like how did you get out of bed in the morning? Um. Well. Because if my mother just died when I was 21, like, yeah. I mean, regardless of my relationship with her, I just... I compartmentalized. Yeah. I didn't even think about it. Okay. I couldn't. You couldn't. I got it's a tattoo. I got this, this memorial tattoo for her a couple of days later. I was back to work, like I said, four days after. Okay. I was just staying at the restaurant at Nachos. Um, You know what's so interesting is because after she died, there were some employees um, at the restaurant that I worked at that became family. Some people that I thought were going to show up just didn't show up. Some old friends of mine, like, just couldn't even handle it from there. And I had this new community of human beings that really showed up, one being my manager, her name is Marin, still a dear sister of mine, um, her partner, Jordan. And then I was kind of falling in love with this person at that time as well, and he was really supportive. Um... Also, I have to shout out to my dear sister, Catherine Mosenbeam, who lost her dad when she was 11 and known her since third grade. She was my rock in the entire experience. And um, without those human beings, there, there would have been no way. No way. And then my other dear sister, Sheena Conroe, is the one who was like, hey, we to India. Like, I see you're really, you're really going through it. You know, you need to go. And... And there were moments where the grief would come over me and I would be I would be floored. And another thing is, is my father's eldest sister, Gina, um, had this little beach house in Santa Cruz that I was living at. So she was there for me that whole summer, um, big time. And she her and her and I lived together and she kind of helped me. Took you in. She took me in. Oh, I would I yeah. She took me in, she brought me by the car. She just loved me up big time. And my father and I were in contact at that time. We hadn't seen each other, spoken 12 years. So, and she hadn't spoken in 12 years either. Long, complicated family drama. But, um, yeah, she she was my, my saving grace. All of them. I couldn't have done it without them. And a lot of the actual grief didn't come up until I was in India. 
And there would be moments where I'd be sitting on the bus in India, and I would see a mother and child, and I would just lose it and just cry hysterically in public in India, you know, like on, on public transportation, put my sunglasses on, and just be hysterical. And I was hysterical about it this weekend. I was grieving her this weekend, all weekend long. I was at Esalen and Big Sur. And uh, she, was, she was so present. So it's still... The veil's super thin right now. Yeah, it's still... It, it feels... I mean, what, it's been four years now? It feels like it happened two weeks ago sometimes. And, you know, like on Friday, I couldn't get out of bed. I could not move. I couldn't leave my house for two days. I, I could just make some tea and sit in the sun and then just lay in bed and wail. And I'm also going through a breakup right now, and I've noticed that when other forms of loss have come into my life, then it's all, it all comes up. It all reminds me of that time. Because it's familiar. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that, that this experience that I'm going through now in my heart space is triggering so much of my mom. And I've been dreaming about her a lot recently. Yeah. She's just there. She's here right now. Yeah, of course she is. She's so, she's so present. She's a, I always tell people she's a better mom to me now than she was when she was alive. She's, she's here and so much more present than she could be when she was in her body. Well, she incarnated in this life because it was fun. She was a baby soul, a baby baby soul. I've actually had a dream that a friend of mine gave birth to her soul and yeah, reincarnated to her child. And it was, well, do you think that that's maybe the reason why you were drawn to birth work almost immediately after her death? Oh, for sure, for sure. That I mean, that makes so much sense when I think about it in those terms of like, oh, okay, yeah, she is gonna come back, and I think I will actually meet her in this lifetime. Meet, meet that meet her soul again through somebody else's child. This is crazy to think about, and what a, entirely possible, right? Totally, yeah. and what an amazing gift! Yeah. I wonder if I'll recognize her right away. I don't know. Me either. Be me Let me know. Let me know if it ever happens. I would love to know. Totally. Yeah, but um, I think that that also was part of your process. I mean, at least from my listening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and hearing your story and so <clears throat> what are what are what are what if you had to articulate what your best learning experience and that sounds so minimal but what you learned the most out of that experience in your life, mm-hmm. what do you feel like you, how, how do you feel like that changed you? Um, you know, I think the one thing and the most important thing that I learned from that was the simple fact that everything is indeed a and that there's no point in holding on because we all are going to be met in the face of death at some point. And 
whatever we can do with our precious time from now until then and, and the people that we can meet and the emotions that we can have and the death, like that's what this life is about. And I think that that's what I learned the most is like really how to hold and love and feel deeply and, and let go deeply as well, which I hadn't done before she died. You know, I had been in one long-term relationship, and that was a very painful process. But I was, I was never as deep in in my emotional um, awareness when she when she was alive. And after her passing, it was like, whoa, this is the ultimate experience of being a human being. Like, I can feel this much. I can feel this much. Um, this many powerful emotions. And then, like that, they're gone. Yeah. You mean gone because she died? No. I mean, they transmuted into something else. Right. No, not gone because she died, but um, gone because because it's impermanent and it's changing and it's always evolving and nothing is forever and and it's and it's like cyclical and it's like nature and so I feel really called to move somewhere right now where it's gonna snow this winter. I want to watch these seasons and I want to like really be at the heart of, of that experience in a way. Because everything's always changing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm so grateful that she <clears throat> gave me birth when we had the 21 years that we did. And that's over, you know? And she's not going to be at my birth and she's not going to be at my wedding. And like, that was really challenging to accept. I mean, I'm still having a hard time accepting that because it's like, whoa, you know, what the hell? How am I supposed to do this? Okay, so that's interesting. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah. Okay, so that's what I was getting about losing your mom at 21. Right. Because you're still you still need help. Oh my god, absolutely. I never even got, I mean. One, you weren't fully cooked. No, no. And one woman put one woman put it this way, which I found really interesting. Um, I was waiting tables at that restaurant. And she commented on my tattoo, and I said, "My mom died you know, a couple days ago." And she's like, "Oh my god!" And I'm so sorry. She's like, "My mom died when I was 21 as well, and I didn't feel a single thing for a year and a half. And all of a sudden, one day, I woke up and I couldn't move, and I was hysterical, and everybody's like, "What's going on?" And it all just came like a ton of bricks. And she put it in this way that resonated so deeply that I, you know, I resonate with too. It's, I never got to be an adult with my mom. I never got to go out and drink wine with her. We never got to talk about, um, you know, the deep aspects of relationships or sexuality. Although she was really sexual and very open about it, which I think is something me and my two sisters always kind of laugh and joke about. It's like any question with sex, like ask mom. And she was really just beautiful and super empowered in her sexuality as a woman and and her experiences of desire and pleasure, you know, hence she was married quite a few times. And so it was kind of like, okay, mom, what's going on here? But, <laughs> but we never, I never got that chance with her. And my sisters, you know, they got the best years. They got her when she was young. I mean, she had her, she had Amber, my eldest sister, when she was 18, 19, I think. And why were those the best years? Because she was healthy. Oh, 
She was healthy, she was young, she was vibrant, she was batshit crazy. Yeah. You know? I was gonna and say, because I can't imagine an 18-year-old. No, mom. no, and they and, and my sister's the biggest ever, you know, they're like, you got a way different mom, way more grounded mom than we yeah. did. Like we had to deal with her psychotic breaks. Because she was. She she battled a lot of mental health issues. She wasn't um she wasn't fully well and she had a really challenging life and had a lot of addictions that really Attributed to her demise, um, and she, yeah. So, uh, twenty-one, still cooking. Yeah, I didn't. I, I still feel lost for that sometimes. And so, do you find that that's a common theme? The feeling lost. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I see that, and I see the work that I'm here to clean up for both of us and like making a shift in the lineage and kind of being being the lineage holder for this blood disease as well. I also have the disease. I was diagnosed last November in Portland with OHSU. I've got an echocardiogram and a CAT scan and an MRI in my brain. And I remember lying in the brain MRI being like, please, creator. I will take on this disease, but I can't do it if I have a brain ABM like my aunt did. It's great. It's it's critical screening if you have HHT to get this stuff checked out because it's so fatal. I mean, in a, in a minute you can just die anywhere if you have you know a ruptured blood clot in your brain. And that's for anybody, not just with HHT, of course. But so yeah, I I just remember thinking like, okay, I can do this work. I can heal this lineage. I can shift this. Please let my brain be clear, and it was. Um, and they found three very tiny immunes in my, my left lung. Um, in your lung. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting, right? Always back to that. Well, that is. Um, I don't. This is. I, I almost said weakest. It's not your weakest, but it, in some ways, like I find that with disease in your body, mm-hmm. and I don't know your thoughts on this so it'd be interesting to hear but with disease in your body I think it tends to go to I subscribe to the methodology of Carolyn Miss right yes uh, it tends to go where you're weakest at so to speak for sure. so for instance for sure. when I got the autoimmune disease and it traveled to my eyes like not only do I wear contacts but also when I was a kid I had a lazy eye I did certain exercises that my mom had me do and the ophthalmologist had me do so that um, we could correct that. Mm-hmm. I grow up, et cetera, et cetera, putting pressure on certain parts of my body, and that happens to be the eye right. that the Graves' disease affects. Interesting. So, Interesting. Yeah. And you I know, had, if you don't fully heal something, right? For sure. For sure. And I had really... Hence the nickname Wheeze. I had really bad asthma as a child. I did too. Yeah. I was like breathing machines, the whole lot, just really a lot. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that I have a few months. And I, you know, he's like, there's nothing we can do. We just have to come back every five years. The disease progresses with age. So I've always said I want to be a young mom. You know, if I don't have kids, it needs to happen sooner rather than later so that I can rewrite the story and we can, we can shift out of this. So tell me, so tell me about your your interest in rewriting this story and your dedication to that in this lifetime. Why yeah, do you feel like that's your work. It's huge. Um, 
I don't know exactly why. I just know that it is that you need to take that on. Yeah. That I, uh, okay, so um, I was an affair baby. So my mother was married to my, my father, I mean, my sister's father. And had two kids, you know, Amber and Shauna. And then my dad was just, you know, they were in love, kind of. I've never really gotten the whole story. But I, they had an affair for a long time. And I'm not sure if he was ever supposed to have kids or if he just didn't want kids. But anyways, it was like, oh, surprise, we're pregnant after like six or seven years of sleeping together. And so I was a miracle child. And I chose them, I feel like, because I have work to do on both sides of the lineage, which I did last January with my grandfather who passed away on the Vigorelli side. So that feels clear and that work's kind of over. But my mother's side is still, it still feels really potent. Um, and there's also this beautiful mystery that I have. I mean, blood is a mystery, right? It's just like such an interesting fluid and it's so beautiful and, and powerful. And so there's this interesting mystery with the rose medicine being my mom's favorite flower and growing up with roses my whole life. My grandparents had a rose, um, beautiful rose garden and her favorite flower was the rose. And she would always say this thing to me when I was younger, you are a rose and full of daisies. So there's this interesting um, connection with the blood and the rose and this lineage and this disease, HHT and plant medicine. And so I had this inspiration and this is an, an, another big part of my work with this is to, to write this book essentially about um, my journey and my story, you know, living with HHT. If this is something that's going to affect me in a big way as I get older and, um, and also how I can shift that in well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Exactly. And so, like, um, Louise Alhay, you know, losing blood is, is loss of joy. Those leaves are, are crying out for love. Like, that's that, that manifestation that is from the emotional body to the physical. So it's interesting. It's like, hmm, crying out for love. Yeah. That whole female lineage has been crying out for love and, and feeling this loss of joy and, and, and this worthiness. Are you crying out for love? No, and I never have no fleas. <laughs> My older sister's 33 now, and she's she's being affected. You know, but she's very religious, and she has a really strong path with God. And I think that that's helping her. And it's also interesting to talk to her about her experience and how her and I are kind of rewriting it together. And it's not going to affect us in the ways that it has with the generation prior, with my mother and her two sisters. Right. We're, we're evolving yes. out of this shit. Yes. I really feel it. Yes. Well, and so going back to the part where you said, like, your mom's not going to be around for your wedding and she's not going to be around for when you have your child, going back to the feeling of how am I going to do all of this? Well, you're, oh, you're already doing it. I know. You don't have a choice. <laughs> so what is that like? You know, I think I've noticed more than anything that romance and that primary partner is critical for me. And and something, 
you know, I was single pretty much all year last year, and that was great, and I did a lot of my own work, and I feel like I really am, am I'm now calling in my life partner, and calling in that man that will be um, that support system, and will stand beside me, and has a good, solid family, and, and can show up for me in ways that, that I lack. Um, and also knowing that it's all in permanence, and that I have everything work in this world and I really strongly know that and I'm also learning how to get more comfortable with asking for help and being vulnerable and like allowing myself to be supported um, by human beings which took me a long time you know much of my process with my mom people didn't even know about when I was growing up in high school I, I, I didn't talk about it I didn't share it you know some people were like oh my god your mom died from what yeah, so this... Well, yeah, I, I don't know why I assumed cancer. A lot of people do. A lot of people do. Be, and I think it's because... Either cancer or suicide. Because, well, because I, here's the thing. You haven't ever shared the story with me. Yeah, I know. I, I don't talk about HHT often. No. And so because you haven't, and then you, whenever you refer to your mom, you say, well... I I watched her struggle for a really long time. Right. I watched her in pain for a really long time. So I read right. all of that. So it's like, okay, well, it it must have it been. must have been something that was fatal that she right. was diagnosed with, right? Right. That you automatically assume cancer, I guess, because I don't know. That's your closest relative to uh, what a lot of people experience. Yeah, cancer is pretty prevalent. Yeah, it is for sure, especially and that's my experience. My dad had cancer when I was. Right, right. And yeah, I, I think cancer is really when it happens, it can happen quickly or over a long time. And if you're young, you're like, my mom just passed away, my father just passed away, people kind of automatically assume. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. if it's sudden. I just want to, uh, you know, there were so many things that we were going to talk about, and <laughs> I, I don't even want to try and accomplish all of that, but there are a couple of things that I think are important to yeah. talk about. Yeah. Um, how do you take risks? <laughs> I know this is totally um, going a different direction. No, I but, like it, I like it, I like it. But just based upon what you've experienced in life, how do you take risks because of the impermanence? Right. Um, has it has this experience has your mother's death let made you more conservative in life? Or no, it's made you the opposite. Yeah, absolute opposite. Yeah, so you take more risks. I take more risks and I take them full on and full force and, and just go for it and it just. And you weren't like that before. Um. So was is there a duality there, or do you feel like it was just enhanced? I think it was enhanced. I've always kind of been a risk taker. You know, I've I've enjoyed like the adrenaline rush, living on the wild side. Um, you know, making pretty spontaneous, rash, hasty decisions, as some would say. Um, but I always seem to make it work, and it always seems to be in my highest interest. Um, I definitely took a huge risk falling in love with this person that, I, that I'm now falling out of love with. And I just went into that like, okay, there's a lesson here. 
and there's some medicine here, and I'm going to be okay, even if I get really hurt at the end of this. Ah, you knew that when it started? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew. And indeed, that is kind of what <laughs> And it was the great. It was it was great. It was, it was, it was I'm glad you're laughing about this. Yeah, today, today I'm laughing about it. A couple days ago, not so much, but yeah. today I'm laughing about it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. So I I think that taking risks is such a critical part of life and growth and development. And I just I have to keep taking risks. I'm I'm probably going to be taking a risk moving to Ben Morgan this winter. And uh, what what is the thrill behind the risk? The unknown. Okay, so you embrace the unknown. The unknown, yeah. yeah. You too. I have to. Yeah. I mean, like, everything too familiar, I just get bored. Well, and I'm, I'm not even bored, but I just, I know that there's more. There's, there's for me less to, growth than the experience. Exactly, exactly. And I know that there's more experiences for me to swallow whole and be like, okay, here we go. What is this like? Exactly. What's the craziest thing you've ever done? Oh my god. <laughs> but you're willing to share. <laughs> wow. Um, hmm. You know, I had some pretty crazy experiences in India. Um, I put myself in a lot of really sketchy situations. Did you? Yeah, not even really aware. And so that is one thing I'll say about risk taking that I'm a lot more conservative about now than I was back then is traveling alone in third world countries. I have a bit of um, PTSD with some of my experiences in India. And I notice that I get really nervous being alone in the third world now in ways that I didn't experience when I was 21 traveling to the middle of Rajasthan on a public bus at three o'clock in the morning by myself. And now I'm like, I would never do that again. So there were some crazy experiences in India, um, but I think the craziest thing I ever did was sell my 2014 brand new Toyota Yaris to buy my 2001 Dodge van and to renovate it and live out of it. That was probably one of the um, the moments of my life where I was like, okay, I'm I'm choosing to go down this road instead of this road, and my mom was very much so wrapped into that man as well um, yeah where is your man the man is in Santa Cruz she's okay. taken yeah okay. and my uh my mom's third husband Frank who kind of raised me and um is, has been my pops for many a year he uh he was living in Fresno at the time and he renovated the whole thing for me so he stripped it all and built put all the wood in it built the bed and shelves and the whole shebang and um that was part of that as well and I think that was one of the the biggest. I don't. I mean, I've done so many crazy things. That's that was a monumental thing. Living out of it, and then living out of it in really sketchy parts of the country. You know, driving thousands and thousands of miles by myself into the desert. This last these last couple of years. these last two years, yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah, because you were when I first met you. Tree herbs wasn't on the horizon yet. I mean, you were. I was considering, considering it, it right. and that was evolving. But when I met you, you were still up in Oregon, and you not that you were on a different path, but like 
I I just know that you started going to a ton of festivals, and that's yeah. kind of how things evolved. So you were driving from festival to festival in the van, and no, so or, no, so a lot of my festival culture actually started in 2010, the first year I went to Burning Man. So I was I hit the festivals pretty hard in 2010. Probably uh, this is like one of the first. No, last summer was the first summer that I did go to any yeah. festivals except Burning Man. Um, I went to Shakti Fest, but I was I was vending. I didn't go to any festivals for play. So my festival train has kind of fallen off quite a bit. Last summer I was on the East Coast, which was amazing, and um, I did I yeah I did a lot of festivals. I've probably gone to like over fifty festivals in my life. Do you feel like that helped with the evolution of T-shirts? I do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got the chance to serve tea at various festivals, which I kind of saw, you know, that market there, and always wanted to run a booth and see what that would be like, and now I dread it. You know, I think about going to festival, I'm like, oh my god, it's not much work. <laughs> <laughs> Is it even worth it, you know? And then it was this thing about, well, sir, it's, it was very, I had to be really cautious about which festival they chose to serve tea at, making sure the clientele was, was right, and there was an intention. You weren't just doing, you know, drugs and dancing all night, actually wanting to create a space and hear what this company is about and <laughs> feel the intention behind the medicine. Right. You know. Right, right. As opposed to just purring. Exactly. Do you have a daily practice? Um yes, I do. And that is writing. So you write every day? I write every single day. And And I've been writing more every day for the last six weeks. Me too. Yeah. So since June, since the beginning of June, and the May beginning of June, um, that has been my daily practice. I really hate routine. It's really challenging for me. I know it's good for me and it's discipline, but it's just monotonous and I can't, I can't have like the same routine when I get older, I will. Not necessarily. I mean, realistically, there are, there. I think it's how you look at routine. That's true. That's true. Because there are, and when I say like a, a daily practice, I mean like a ritual. For instance, like mm-hmm. there are certain things, my day never goes the same way. I'm yeah. a lot like you, yeah. but at the same, because I'm super flexible in what my day looks like, but there are certain commitments that I bring in and I try to bring in almost every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm certainly more disciplined now than I was, like, even five years ago or for sure 20 years ago. Right. 20 years ago, I was like a shit show. <laughs> but my point is, is, like, you know, there are certain things. Like, for instance, a ritual for me is every morning I have a, well, at least once a day I have a glass of water with um, lemon essential oil in it. Mm-hmm. And I almost always have a salt bath. And I, um, I almost always, um, pull a card for myself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, there's certain things I always try to meditate, but it doesn't happen every day. Yeah. And meditation comes in many forms, right? Sometimes it's like, I go out on a run for 30 minutes and that is meditation, meditation, right? Yeah. So I'm just saying, are there things that you can't live without? Yes. Oh yes. Oh Yes. That are in your daily practice. And I'd like to hear more about what that looks like. Yeah. So. Things that feed you. I can't live without coffee. I just love it. I'm like. I did not know that. Yeah. It's my. 
It reminds me of um, my Italian side, the Zigarellis. There was always a pot of coffee on it. Always smelled like coffee. Always, always, always in the house. And so, are you northern or southern and Italian? Southern from Calabria. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I haven't been yet, but I'm, I'm hoping to go maybe next summer. That's that's a goal. Definitely going back and visiting those groups. So yes, coffee, um, writing, and I could not live without my bathing ritual. Okay, Which, tell me about that. So the bathing ritual is pretty pretty spicy. It's the it's the herbs too. Yeah. Oh yeah. So. Always some essential oil. My favorites recently have been mugwort and clary sage. Depending on where I'm, where I'm at in my cycle, if I'm if I'm ovulating, I'll use clary sage. If I'm on my moon or about to start my moon PMSing, I'll use mugwort. So those are two absolute essentials for me. You use the essential oil from those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so Himalayan salts and Epsom salts. Always one candle, a candlestick. Generally, the color pattern purple. I just burned a purple one recently. Um, and then rose petals sometimes. Some herbs I'll put in. I like to use motherwort. I like to use rosemary from my garden. Um, and I get in, call on my ancestors, submerge completely, and then we'll usually do about 10 to 15 minutes of like some pretty high-powered breath work in the bathtub and it's excruciatingly hot i have to have it really really hot and just like so the sweating is another thing too i love deep yoga i'm a big fan of saunas as well love saunas sweat lodges i'm a heat girl which is interesting because i'm so fiery but i just need more of that heat i i love it too i absolutely love it we're considering getting an infrared oh you should but that'd be so nice in portland i know because i grew up in southern california right Right. it's cold up there it is cold up there um it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you or some other people that i know right oh the rough girl It's so rough. Um, I think that the reason why it doesn't bother me is like you, I, I, I yearn for change. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in monotony of Southern California where the seasons are all the same. And most people coming from seasons would say, well, that's perfect. Right. right? I love the fact that I don't need to worry about it's going to rain ever. Right. But there's all things that feed into that, right? And we won't go there. But my point is, is I, I love the season. So I, I, at this point in my life, really can embrace winter. And when I was in college, I could, like, I, I would freeze. I hated it. I didn't like it. I didn't like being cold. I still don't like being cold. Don't get me wrong. But, um, I've also found that I've gotten smarter and, if you dress appropriately, <laughs> you're fucking fine. If you have layers and wool socks, yes. Well, yes. and that's the thing. I think, like, I'll give you an example. When we lived here in San Francisco, I had, like, I had rain, a rain jacket and a coat when I lived here. Mm-hmm. And then when we moved to Portland, I was like, I'll be fine. I'll put a sweater underneath that shit, right? Exactly. No. And for the first year, I was always wet and always fucking cold. And yeah. I was like, this is bullshit. And then I finally actually broke down and got like, you know, I I won't say they're excre- extremely in my fashion um, 
it, like it wouldn't be something that I would normally put in my closet, but I broke down and I got like the Pacific Northwest Columbia jacket. Of like, course. I of course. broke down and got something that like actually has a hood, is completely waterproof, right. has a down insert. <laughs> And, like, my life was changed yes. just by a freaking post. It's true. Coats are crucial. Coats, Coats are crucial. or just even, like, the right kind of boots, yeah. right? And so right. having the right supplies always makes things easier. <laughs> but I do get that when you're young, like, fucking paying rent is more important than the, the a Patagonia. It's true. It's true. Right? Yeah. So I have that luxury, and I think because I have that luxury and comfort now in my life, it makes it a lot easier mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and, and we travel right we right he and I move around so we're able to go to eat too exactly yeah exactly and so that's important the cult. yeah it would be nice to have like a three or four week you know Mexico vacation in yeah between. in like January or February exactly. and a lot of Portlanders do that mm -hmm. so I think that that's that's key. You're starting to yawn. I know. So, <laughs> I'm wanting you to sleep. No. Uh, so we can we can end there. I, I feel like that is. I mean, wow, we covered a lot. We did. There's so many things that we could talk about, and I could talk to you forever. And I'm thinking about, and I'm just kind of hogging your time. But no, no, it's great. But um, I just think that you're such a powerful. You're such a powerful soul, and there, there's so much that I know there's an age difference between the two of you, two of us, but there's so much that you have to teach that even I love learning by being in your presence. So I just really wanted to make sure that we could highlight your experience because I feel like that, that was a super pivotal experience. Oh, yeah. And oh yeah, it changed everything. And and, and it's still it's still yeah, it's still changing everything and it catapulted you into this particular direction that was completely unprepared and you did not see coming. And so I, I'm always fascinated as to to how that projects us, but also who it makes us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, so thank you. you for sharing that with us. And, and so for asking me the questions. And I feel how, so full and, and clear and still and just reminded of, wow, look at all that stuff that I went through. Because we don't always give ourselves credit, especially as no, like I no. feel like, oh, I've come so far. Oh, but I never remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have come really far. Uh, so it's good, to, it's good to remember. So yeah. how can people find find out more about you. What? Okay, so um, teatreeherbs.com is your website. Is my website. And then my Instagram is smokysparrow, S-M-O-K-E-Y sparrow. Um, and you're primarily on Instagram. Instagram is, is, yeah. And I'm on my Smoky Sparrow Instagram more than I am um, on my Tea Tree Herbs Instagram. Okay. Yeah. So okay. Tea Tree Herbs for now. That's going to change. That will evolve. We will keep, we will be, I'll keep you posted. We'll keep our fans posted. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. And yeah. um, thank you again for. Thank you. Love. You're such sharing. a beauty. Thank I you. just really appreciate you Aww. so much. Yeah. This has been really fun. Hey, Andrea again. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode. To show you my gratitude, 
I'm offering you a 10% discount off any product when you shop online at PsychicCheerleader.com. Just use the code BTR10 at checkout. Thank you for your continued support. Thank you for listening to Brilliance Through Resilience podcast. Find the show notes to this episode and all episodes at brilliancetheresilience.com. I invite you to join me in your own transformational healing by heading over to the resources at psychiccheerleader.com. That's my website where you can learn more about my life and offerings as a psychic cheerleader, specifically why I'm different than any other coaching you previously experienced. I am here to assist you in clearing and also healing the deep conditioning around emotional trauma, which allows for the accessibility to new growth and expansion within. You deserve that clarity, vision, and fulfillment. Isn't it time? You can also follow my journey on Instagram at Psychic Cheerleader. And if you love this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you would take a moment to leave a rating or a review on iTunes. Those particular actions help to continue to build this amazing community and encourages more women like you to share your stories of bravery and courage. Wherever you are, I want you to remember this. Every woman has a story and every woman deserves love. Let's continue to meet each other in love. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening in and joining me on this journey. See you next time. Hey.